Hello, everyone, and welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. My name is Rada Villamurri, and I'm joined by Anya Moroza. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're a student-run podcast that talks about major issues in public health and how they are relevant to anyone, both in and out of the field of public health. We're here today with Dr. Ryan Smith, an associate professor in the Department of Entomology at Iowa State. He oversees mosquito and tick surveillance across the state of Iowa and is here today to chat with us about his work and as the first guest in our series about vector-borne diseases. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks, Rada. Thanks, Anya. It's a pleasure. Before we get to discussing your work, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your career path? You know, how you ended up at Iowa State in the Department of Entomology and like what made you choose to willingly study bugs? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I try to be, I guess, as succinct as possible, but I mean, I've, I've been interested in, in mosquitoes, especially for a little over 20 years now. And it more or less started when I was an undergraduate, uh, just kind of finishing up my, my degree in biology. I was taking a class and we had to talk about like a recent advance. And one of the topics that one of my friends had mentioned was uh, this idea of making transgenic mosquitoes or kind of manipulating the DNA of a mosquito such that you can manipulate them so that they wouldn't be able to transmit diseases anymore. And this was an idea that like really captivated me. And so I wrote up my project on this. I realized that through doing this, that there was actually a faculty member on the campus where I was doing my, my undergraduate degree, and I ended up uh, applying for graduate school, joined his lab, uh, started off as a master's student. During the process, I transitioned into a PhD and worked on making uh, transgenic mosquitoes with the idea of, at least at the time, was to use transposable elements for uh, gene drive, uh, much like uh, people have now adopted with CRISPR-Cas9 with this much newer, much more improved technology. But so kind of with that, my interest in mosquitoes have, have continued. And so following my PhD, I did a postdoc at Johns Hopkins University. And that's really when I, I, I started to get involved more into uh, infection and some of the diseases that mosquitoes transmit. And, and really the, the focus that I had there was, was on malaria. So I started looking at mosquito physiology and the immune system to, to understand how and why these mosquitoes can transmit these different diseases, uh, you know, especially one like malaria that has really large devastating impacts throughout the world. And so ultimately, uh, after a period of time, I was on the job market and applied for a position here at Iowa State, and I ended up getting it. And so I've continued some of that work uh, as far as looking at malaria parasite infection. We've also expanded that into other viruses like Zika and Dengue in the lab. But with my position, we have also, uh, it's always been affiliated with uh, this oversight of mosquito surveillance for the state. And so since I've, I've joined here, I've kind of learned uh, some new techniques and some new skills as we've uh, tried to better understand mosquito abundance and its impacts on uh, mosquito-borne disease, tick-borne disease uh, in the state. Yeah, so so some of the diseases you brought up, like dengue, Zika, malaria, those are usually what I think of when I think of mosquito surveillance. And as far as I know, those diseases are not super common in Iowa. So why do you think it's important to have a mosquito surveillance program in a state like Iowa? 
Sure. Well, I mean, uh, mosquitoes kind of, as you mentioned, kind of throughout the world, they, they have a tremendous impact. And, you know, while we are very privileged to, to not have to worry about a lot of these mosquito-borne diseases, you know, even about 100 years ago still, their diseases like malaria were very prevalent here in the United States. And we often kind of forget about that, even, even in Iowa. And through DDT and other eradication efforts, we were able to eliminate a lot of these diseases. But at least for us in, in Iowa right now, the most pressing mosquito-borne disease has been West Nile virus. And it was originally introduced about 20 years ago, uh, and since then has become endemic. And uh, more or less what that means is that every year you are going to have infections. And so there may be variation between years, but there will always be uh, cases of West Nile virus. And so it's something that we can more or less continue to expect in the future. Uh, but it's also something that we're trying to understand. And at least one of the kind of major priorities of our mosquito surveillance program here is to, to really understand some of the dynamics that are at play and why in one year we can have 100 cases of, of West Nile virus and then in the next year we have five. And trying to take that mosquito data and, and better understand you know, some of these reasons for these kind of fluctuations in, in disease transmission. And I, I think not only trying to understand uh, diseases that are here, but I, I think getting a better grasp of the, the mosquitoes that uh, maybe aren't transmitting disease in, in the case of potential uh, pathogens that are introduced into the area. And so, for instance, you know, even a few years ago, when Zika virus kind of popped up out of nowhere, there was a, a big concern of, oh, is there any potential that Zika virus can be transmitted in the United States and, and even kind of more so and more relevant to us in, in the state of Iowa? And so, do we have those mosquitoes that can even transmit this, this disease? And, and so questions like that, are, I think, are really integral to a mosquito surveillance program. And, and I think you can kind of answer the, the same question similarly for ticks and tick-borne diseases. What ticks do we have? What diseases can we potentially have here in the state? You mentioned mosquito data. What is mosquito data? Or, you know, how do you get this data? What is your day-to-day -day surveillance of mosquitoes? Sure. So we have different objectives. Some of it is just general kind of population abundance, seeing what type of mosquitoes we find. But there are also cases in which we're, we're trying to see if there are invasive mosquitoes coming into the state. And so we use different traps for that. And then kind of with regard to West Nile virus, we also use different traps so that we can collect mosquitoes that we can ultimately test to see if they they are infected with that, that virus. And so ultimately, our surveillance program is made up of at least really three kind of major objectives. And with that, we use different trap types. And, and so ultimately, the types of mosquitoes that we collect are going to be different depending on the exact trap that we're using. But so ultimately, some of the, these traps are maintained by us here at Iowa State. But a lot of these are maintained through partners located throughout the state. And so at least right now, I forget the exact numbers, but I think we have uh, partners for six other counties for West Nile virus surveillance, and I think we're at 10 for some of our invasive mosquito projects. So ultimately what that means is in a lot of these other counties, which are you know maybe an hour or two away from us here in Ames, is that uh, we rely on local county public health partners or, or people who uh, are interested in kind of maintaining these traps for us. And so uh, they may do the day-to-day the -day operations of kind of changing the traps and, and kind of doing any mosquito collections that are there. 
and then ultimately they send that to, to us at Iowa State. And we have personnel that will sort through every single insect that is collected, pulling out the mosquitoes and doing identifications of every single one. And, you know, we speciate every uh, mosquito that we bring in. And from there, we, we tally all of these up and we've had almost about 50 years of data that has been collected here at Iowa State looking at these different mosquito populations. And so with that, we can really get a, a good sense of where we are now, you know, where we've been in the past and, and maybe where things are going in the future. Just curious, do you know like about how many mosquitoes get trapped a year that you have to sort through? Yeah, so it, it really does depend by the year and obviously the number of traps that we, we have going, but even, you know, so uh, the most predominant or, or kind of most abundant mosquito that we have here, at least in central Iowa, is a mosquito called Aedes vexans. This is a mosquito that doesn't really transmit any disease, but it is annoying and will bite you. And especially after these large rainfalls, they can come out in really big numbers. And just in a given year, we might process a few hundred thousand samples of, of mosquitoes as they're coming in. And we've had traps oftentimes where, you know, just even in a single night, we've had more than 5,000 of these mosquitoes. There, there can be so many that they kind of fall out and they're kind of a mountain of mosquitoes that sometimes we don't even sort through all of them. We actually just weigh it to get an approximate number of, of samples that are there. So uh, they can be in, in really high numbers sometimes. That's my nightmare. I think you just described my nightmare. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely understand that. And trust me, even as, as someone that works on mosquitoes, I'm still very much prone to getting bitten. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what if you were, you know, in an ideal world and, you know, that still has mosquitoes apparently, but you were in an ideal world, how would you like to conduct mosquito surveillance? You know, is there some trap design you would love to try or uh, use, you know, DNA testing on every single mosquito or like what would be your, you know, no spare, no expense mosquito surveillance technique? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's maybe hard to get a, a wish list. I mean, maybe more than, I mean, ultimately what our biggest limitation with our surveillance right now is just money and the, the resources that we can do. Unfortunately, that kind of ebbs and flows with with interests of, of disease. And you know, so before Zika came out, the interest in a lot of our mosquito-borne disease and surveillance was kind of waning. Then we had Zika again, so interest kind of popped up and we had some funding and that kind of dropped down. And, and so ultimately, my I guess my wish would you know, be pretty boring and just ask for some consistent funds and, and be able to run and maintain one of these programs, you know, and, and to have extra capacity to, you know, really ask some additional questions. And, and maybe, you know, if we had some fancy traps that would save us a lot of time with, with actually doing the speciation and, and counting through each and every one of these. There are some of those traps that are being developed right now, but you know, they cost a lot of money and ones that we can't really afford to, to do on, on our budget. So ultimately, you know, my boring answer is just to have more money. <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought you would be like, you know, I want a machine that can identify every single mosquito that comes in, you know, in the blink of an eye. But you're just, you know, you're thinking practically. I'm, yeah, I'm too practical from that perspective. I mean, it, you know, that. The, the biggest challenge with, with having the surveillance program is just having that kind of consistent funding to, you know, really grow the program, I guess, as opposed to maintain or, or put band-aids on it to kind of hold it together. And so, you know, the, that's maybe the practicality of it, you know, I'll kind of save the laser beams and, and fancy traps out there for, you know, someone else to wish for. <laughs>
So you mentioned the different like sorts of questions that you want to answer with the mosquito surveillance data. So can you talk a little more about that, the types of questions you answer and like what information you get from conducting mosquito surveillance? Sure. So kind of a, a long held question that we've had in the lab is obviously thinking about West Nile virus transmission. And so, you know, who, who are the mosquitoes that are involved? You know, why do we have these fluctuations from year to year? Uh, and that's using a lot of our data. So a few years ago, we published a study in which we kind of did a synopsis of the last 15 years of what West Nile virus transmission looked like in the state of Iowa. And from that, we can kind of really kind of piece together and, and demonstrate that the majority of our West Nile virus cases are out in Western Iowa. And the majority kind of imply that these cases are responsible to a single mosquito in Culex tarsalis, which is much more prevalent in that area. And they are able to acquire and transmit this, this virus much better, kind of really pointing the finger at them as being the most important. And not to say that other mosquitoes that we have in the state can transmit it, but kind of looking at the dynamics of these different mosquito populations is, is something that has been a great interest to us. And I think that we've started to learn a lot about it, but, you know, unfortunately, even still West Nile is, is relatively new, you know, it's, it's been here for 20 years. And, and while that might sound like a lot, when you start to look at epidemiological data, you need to more, have more time points. And so we're learning more and more with each passing year. And when we first start to feel like we have addressed some questions, we, we start to kind of shake our head and, and you know, with the, the next season, it's like, well, how come we didn't more get more cases this year? And, you know, how come uh, we didn't have, you know, a bigger impact uh, as far as disease transmission? And, and these are, are things that are continue to evolve in the lab. And, and some of the other work that we've done is kind of more focused on invasive mosquitoes. And some of these uh, 80s uh, mosquitoes that can actually transmit things like Zika virus. And we've recently detected them here in the state. And have argued that they are established in some of the counties and kind of looking to, to follow not only where they are, but you know, where they could potentially spread in the future. And so, you know, we can ask a lot of questions with, with the data that we have, even pursue other kind of less important vectors of, of disease and, and kind of see, even from the perspective of from a geographical perspective, Iowa is interesting in its ecology where uh, there seems to be almost like a gradient of a lot of these different mosquito and ticks and where you might find them and, and where they're located in the state. We're kind of at this kind of boundary, I think, for a lot of their, their range. And so I think from that perspective and the ecology of these different vectors that uh, Iowa is an interesting place and we're still trying to figure out, you know, what exactly are those determinants of the environment that kind of shape where and why we might find certain mosquitoes or ticks in, in these areas. So you can kind of like watch and see if, if the ranges change over time too. Um, and, and that's exactly what we're seeing is that, you know, so we, with all of this surveillance data, as I mentioned, you know, and that's the benefit of having you know, decades of, of this data, as you can see where maybe some of these mosquitoes were 20 years ago and where they are now. And the same goes for ticks I mean, and where you're seeing this movement or expansion can kind of inform, you know, potential where we might see additional disease transmission in the future. And I think that that's really important. And, you know, the problem with the surveillance is that you don't see the, the repercussions or the benefits immediately. And, and like I said, you, you see these this benefit years down the line. And so obviously it's kind of a hard thing to convince taxpayer dollars, I guess, of, you know, the importance, but it, it is still, I think, really vital and important to really look at these types of questions. 
No, for sure. I totally understand what you're saying. It's that's what it seems like a lot of research is like, you know, you invest a lot of time and effort, but then you don't, you might not see the results for years to come. Changing gears just a little bit, your lab published an article about finding a new species of mosquito in Iowa. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because, you know, a new species and, um, you know, what it means, you know, for the mosquito-borne disease side of things. So I I kind of alluded to it already, but one of these invasive mosquitoes, Aedes albopictus, we recently found here in the state. And Aedes albopictus can be found throughout the world and is spreading in the United States. And so previously it was thought that this mosquito wouldn't be able to survive here in the state of Iowa just because of the the winter. And so the, the winter temperatures were thought to be kind of a a limitation as to where you might find it. And even though occasionally you might have some of these mosquitoes be introduced, they just wouldn't survive. Well, um, over the last few years, especially after the importance of of this Zika virus epidemic, there's a lot more interest to see whether these mosquitoes were here in the States. And ultimately uh, we found uh, these mosquitoes in three different Iowa counties in Lee and Des Moines County, uh, as well as uh, Polk County here in Des Moines. And Ultimately, what we've seen is an increase in these numbers. Uh, They seem to really be associated with, I guess, suburban housing where there's a lot of vegetation, kind of more populated areas of uh, each of these counties. And so they they maybe have some limitations of, of, I think, the agriculture in these areas as to where they can spread. But I, I think it's an important article from the perspective that we've been able to see these year to year. They're growing, they're expanding into new areas, really kind of countering that idea that they wouldn't be able to survive here in the state. And so uh, from an immediate perspective, uh, these mosquitoes aren't going to probably transmit any diseases. They might have the potential in the future if something that was introduced. Uh, But in the meantime, it's another mosquito that's going to probably be pretty aggressive in in biting us. You know, they they really like to to bite people uh, and could be a, a real nuisance from that perspective. And so the immediate kind of concerns for disease are, are pretty rare, if not minimal. Um, but it's another mosquito species that can definitely uh, be a, a major nuisance when we're having those uh, barbecues or kind of outdoor functions. So that kind of is a good segue into prevention. So what are some ways to control the spread of mosquito-borne diseases, um, either at an individual level or a larger scale? Well, I, I think, at least for most people, it kind of starts at the home. And I, I think that we can do a lot of measures in and around our, our homes just to prevent any kind of standing water, uh, removing kind of junk or debris that can collect you know, a little bit of rainfall, any kind of buckets, you know, kids' toys, little kiddie pools, anything like that, that can collect that, that water. And you would be amazed that you, know, you only need maybe an, an inch or two of, of water for these mosquitoes to potentially lay their eggs and to Uh, undergo their larval development. And so simply removing these water sources or or sites in which uh, mosquito development can occur, you're going to prevent uh, mosquitoes from being close to you. And so if you can kind of keep them away from the home, then they would have to travel a lot further to hopefully get you uh, if you happen to be outside. And so you know, collectively, if if you can do that and your neighbors can do that, and, and even as a community, uh, you can potentially reduce some of the impacts of, of mosquitoes in and around the home. 
And then ultimately in Iowa, we don't really have mosquito control districts or kind of organized uh, mosquito control. Uh, there are a few counties, a, a few cities that, that do have some spraying efforts and, and we do cooperate with them to kind of help kind of their spraying patterns so that they're not you know, spraying all the time and, and to really kind of focus on, on times when there are much higher mosquito numbers. So it kind of you know, takes a, a tiered response. And, and so at least in, in the state, we don't have uh, funded resources for kind of this organized mosquito control. We are actually contracted through the, the State Department of Public Health to do a lot of our surveillance. But as far as you know, any kind of disease mitigation efforts or anything like that, at least in the state of Iowa, we really don't have that, unfortunately. And so if we were to really have a, an outbreak or, or something where we needed additional help, we would probably bring in people from the CDC. And so you kind of get this hierarchical effort uh, of people that would kind of respond to uh, a situation. And, and so uh, partners at, at the CDC really kind of monitor and, and help to reduce any kind of disease uh, in the United States would you know, probably be employed to, to help us here in Iowa if indeed anything did pop up. We can talk about the United States here, or we can talk about Iowa, we can talk about, you know, globally, but what's your opinion on health equity in relation to mosquito, uh, you know, borne diseases or um, mosquito surveillance? Sure. Well, I mean, again, for the United States, there's really not uh, a huge kind of impact of mosquito-borne disease, as I mentioned before. Uh, I think the real inequities are in other parts of the world. And and not only for mosquito-borne disease, but a lot of the other vector-borne diseases that are transmitted by like, kissing bugs and sandflies. These are predominantly diseases that affect uh, those that are for, from poor uh, incomes and, and not having really suitable housing conditions. And, and oftentimes, you know, many others have mentioned before that if you really want to impact uh, a lot of these diseases and, and their transmission is we need to build better homes and having places that, that have, you know, four walls and, and have uh, windows with screens and, and, you know, an actual floor uh, to prevent, you know, many of these, these different arthropods from getting inside and, and potentially biting us when, when we are vulnerable and sleeping. And, uh, and I think really those, those measures are, are reflected in where we have uh, really the, the biggest impacts of vector-borne disease. And so I think frankly, building better homes is, is going to be arguably one of the, the biggest steps to uh, really reduce um, bites. And, and if you can reduce bites, then you can reduce potential disease transmission. Building better homes. Yeah. So next, we're just going to ask the question that we ask of all of our guests. What is one thing you thought you knew, but were later wrong about? Yeah. So I, I think it's a, a challenging question. You know, it's, we sometimes think they were always right, you know, but uh, I, I guess kind of one of the more recent examples is, you know, I, I think it's important to keep an open mind as scientists. And, you know, I think it's, you know, we should always be influenced by new data or, or new information that can change our minds. And, and I think the first thing that kind of comes to mind is a, a recent study that we've been doing actually on, on some of the tick-borne diseases that are found here in the state. And uh, this is regarding uh, a bacterial pathogen that's transmitted by uh, different ticks. And uh, originally we kind of had this preconceived notion uh, that this was uh, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Rickettsia rickettsia, that is transmitted by the 
Dermacenter variabilis, which is the American dog tick. And so we don't have a huge number of cases here in the state, but we were kind of pointing the finger at these, this, this tick and this pathogen. And as we started looking more and more into the, the literature, uh, it was much more vague. And, and so ultimately our thoughts have changed and we don't really think it's, it's that type of bacteria anymore. We don't think it's that tick that's involved anymore. And so it's, it's really just kind of unwrapping the layers and, and really kind of following, you know, where, where the data are actually taking us. And I, I think we can learn a lot more and, and our idea of where transmission of, of this uh, disease is occurring is, is really changed as a result of taking kind of a, a different scope or a different lens uh, applied to these questions. Yeah, thanks for the quick preview on tick-borne diseases, which we'll be talking about in a future podcast episode. That was a really nice segue, thank you. And we can just wrap up. That was, you know, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, thank you. I, I appreciate it. You know, I'm always happy to help if, if you guys have other questions. And, and if you want to talk a little bit more when it comes to tick-borne disease, we can definitely do that too. That's it for our episode this week. Big thanks to Dr. Ryan Smith for joining us today. This episode was hosted and written by Rada Vella-Murray and myself, and edited and produced by me, Anya Morozov. You can learn more about the College of Public Health on Facebook, and our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with your colleagues, friends, or anyone interested in public health. If you have a suggestion for our team, you can always reach us at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This episode was brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Stay tuned next week for our continuation of the series on vector-borne diseases. And until then, stay healthy, stay curious, and take care.